Hey, good morning, Veritas. Good morning, all who are tuned in as well. Glad you guys are all here. Um, this might be information that you don't really want, but I'm just going to share it anyway, because uh, early this morning, I decided to just, for curiosity's sake, check out the temperature in Anchorage, Alaska, and get this, at that point, we were 23 degrees colder than Anchorage, Alaska. I was just like, man, everybody's like, oh, I got to go south, I got to get warm. I'm like, let's go to Alaska, where we can warm up. Anyway, um, yeah, probably didn't need to be reminded of how cold it is up there, so sorry for distracting you right there. Come out of this awesome worship time, and then I distract you with how cold it is up there. Um, guys, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, if you've got your Bible, um, I'd love it if you would join me there in 1 Corinthians 10. We're, we're actually in the um, second half of that chapter, so we're going to be starting in verse 23. But before we do, um, I, I want to set up a little bit what Paul is going to do for the Corinthians. So the, the Corinthians had these like slogans, these mottos, these, these mantras that, that defined who they are. That they put grooves of thinking into their heads. For them, we're going to see at those very first words in verse 23, everything is permissible. We're going to unpack that a little bit because you can see it's in quotes. He's going to come back and say, that's what you guys say. You guys are the ones saying everything's permissible. And uh, coming back to that. I just want you to know, though, that that is actually a cultural phenomenon that we know all too well. We also have these um, catchphrases, these, these ideas that keep getting put into pithy little slogans or whatever, and we repeat them often enough, and all of a sudden, that's how we're living. That's the way we, we live our lives. So let me give you a couple examples of that. One of those is this. Just be yourself. There's no one better. Okay, if you're a Taylor Swift fan, you know that she's just the most recent prophet to be able to say that little phrase, just be yourself. There's no one better. So we hear that kind of thing, and it becomes so second nature that it doesn't even like get our attention. You're like, totally, that's so true, right? And then we retweet it or whatever we do because it just seems so right. It just seems so cultural. We call these things, actually, you guys, we call these things cultural liturgies, cultural liturgies. When we talk about cultural liturgies, here's what we mean. Churches that have liturgies are churches that have doctrinal phrases or songs or statements or creeds that they repeat over and over. And the idea is that in repeating them, it sinks deeper and deeper, almost into our subconscious, right? So that we're actually living out those things that we just know so well. Well, what, what I'm describing here are cultural liturgies, ways that our culture keeps repeating back to us some certain things. And before you know it, we're just blindly lining up under that. Here, let me give you another one, just so that you know that this goes back to my generation as well. You only go around once in life so grab for all the gusto you can. You'd have to be about my age to realize that's a Schlitz commercial from the 1970s. You're welcome. Um, but there was this idea, and, and later it became, you know, grab life by the horns, you know, and then Dodge trucks took that one over or whatever. But these, this idea that you got to grab life, you only go around once. In fact, that's yet another one, you know, the little acronym. Now everybody's into acronyms, probably because of the texting generation, like YOLO, Right? YOLO, we're doing this all the time, right? Like, you only live once. You only live once. So the meaning, like, go for it. Get everything you can out of it. So I'm just saying, 
We do, we do those things and repeat those things so frequently, they come at us in song, in texting, whatever, that they just become part of how we live our life. Things get more sophisticated when the philosophers jump in. It, nothing against Taylor Swift. She also is a philosopher. But Ayn Rand, I want to throw this on there. Ayn Rand, if, if you're not familiar with Ayn Rand's philosophy, she wrote a couple novels, one like Atlas Shrugged, for instance, maybe in high school lit class, you had to read some of Ayn Rand. So hers was interesting because even though she was a philosopher, mostly she didn't do lectures, she wrote these narratives that were very compelling, very compelling books. This is what Ayn Rand says, learn to value yourself, which means fight for your happiness. Once again, I want to say, if I had just thrown that up and be like, isn't that true? You'd be like, dude, that's so good. That's so true. Here's what I want to say. That is so non-Christian to the point of being anti-Christian. In fact, I want you to just think about this for a second. Have you ever known somebody really well that lives by this? You do, I promise you. Don't start looking at them if they're in the room. Um, people that really believe this stuff. So they have learned to value themselves above all else. And if they are out to fight for their personal happiness, what kind of person do they become? If it's all about them, if they become a universe of one, right, and everything and everybody else has to kind of orbit around only to prop up their personal happiness, they become intolerable. As, honestly, Ayn Rand became. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, it, this stuff goes so deep into our culture. Here, here's what I'm trying to appeal to you guys. Words are powerful. Worldviews that get put into song and in catchy little phrases are powerful. We can kind of giggle along at some of the more absurd ones that end up in, you know, advertisements and stuff, but I am telling you, we are shaped by this stuff. So we're going to be talking a little bit today about the Corinthian phrase, everything is permissible, but let's not imagine that, oh, those ancients, how foolish they were. How could they get caught up in such weird little lies? No, I'm saying we have to understand how many lies we just drink down and live by and we don't even recognize them. That's how ingrained they are. You guys, the reason that if, if you're newer to Veritas or if you've been here for years, the reason that we grab books of the Bible and just march our way through them is because it is only the Bible that can retrain our minds into thinking what's true. Veritas is the word for truth, the Latin word for truth. Um, we have to retrain our minds. There's, there's a verse in, in Romans 12 that I want to have frame in what we're going to be doing here. Romans 12, 2 says this. Don't be conformed to this age. Don't let this age, the mottos, the phrases going out, squeeze you into a mold, conform you to the way this age is. No, no, we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that's the way that we can start discerning what is good, what is pleasing, what's that perfect will of God. Guys, we are so indoctrinated all the time by false narratives, um, even by cultural liturgies, that we have to come back to the Bible to be retrained, reprogrammed. It's like our, our minds have these hard wires, you know, like operating systems. We have to actually rewire 
our operating system. I don't even know if you can do that, right? But I'm telling you, you have to re-engage, rethink the pathways that we think. That's what we're going to be doing as we look at this. Okay, so there's, there's actually a, another verse when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that says this. Paul says, hey, Corinthians, we need to take every thought captive. That's another way to say that, 2 Corinthians 10. Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. All those thoughts can't just run amok because they will likely, those random thoughts, be following Schlitz commercials versus the Word of God. Okay, so let's tear into this. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Here's how he starts off. He's going to put it in quotes. Here's one of the things. Here's your Schlitz commercial, right, that, that you tweet out. or No, they couldn't tweet. They'd chisel it into granite or something. I don't know what they do, but a way to repeat it often, everything is permissible. But he's going to challenge it. But everything's not beneficial. Everything's permissible. Well, not everything builds up. And here's this corrective, verse 24. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Okay, he's going to unpack that. But I'm telling you, if you did nothing but pull over and park right there, those first two verses, you'd get the theme and the idea of the entire passage right there. There's him pointing out the wrong thinking and bringing in the right thinking, the Jesus way. So with due respect to Schlitz and Taylor Swift and whatever, Ayn Rand, the pop philosophers of Corinth, no, everything is not permissible, okay? No. I know you say that often enough to where that's what you think is true. It's not true because everything is not beneficial. And he's not talking about personally beneficial, all of us in our universe of me, right? No, no, no. He's saying not everything is actually helpful to other people. And in fact, we shouldn't just be thinking about ourselves. We should be thinking about what might build others up, right? Verse 24 is the corrective. No one should seek his own good, but the good of other persons. Not the universe of me, the universe of other people, okay? Guys, fighting for me, fighting for my happiness, even fighting for my freedom, everything's permissible. Like, you can't tell me what to do. Even if it's fighting for our own autonomy, our own freedom is so non-Christian. In fact, you don't have to be a philosopher. It's just selfish, right? Let's just call it for what it is. It's just pure, base, self-centeredness. Don't glamorize it. Don't tweet it. Don't like run a banner. Oh, it's so good. Tear up over it. No, it is just self-centeredness. It's just selfishness. And so Jesus is trying to come back in with this corrective. Don't think that way. You become monstrous when you think that way. You become a terrible person. You really do. You become actually the kind of people that want you to be a universe of one orbiting all by yourself up there somewhere because nobody really wants to live around a person that is only constantly thinking about themselves. Follow the Jesus way. Follow the Jesus way. Be transformed. Well, how do we do that? How do we get our minds transformed? Let's, let's see how he does that, okay? So he actually wraps it up into a story, okay? So first off, verse 25, eat everything that's sold in the market Without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Here's what he's talking about. Like, you go to the meat counter, right? You go to the fairway meat counter, especially. Like, you guys know that fairway actually has entire stores that are dedicated to meat? 
There's a few of them around. They need one in Iowa City desperately. If you work for Fairway, put in my you know, note. Um, that, but there's one in Ames. There's one in Kansas City. There's a couple of them around. And the whole thing is just dedicated to meat, what you want to smoke, what you want to grill. It's unbelievable. Anyway, so one time I was in there, and my son and I were in the one, and, and we found these tomahawk steaks. Do you know what tomahawk steaks are? They're like this big, massive steak, but it's on a bone, this huge bone. I mean, it looks Cro-Magnon or something. Anyway, it just looks awesome, tastes awesome. All that kind of Here, Sorry, I'm digressing. You're going to the meat market. You're going to the meat counter. That's what he's saying. Go to the meat market, and it all looks delicious. And here's what he's saying. Oh, man, God is so good. Look at this array of meat. I can choose... Any one of these things, and I'll bet no matter what I'd pick, it would all be good. So just give thanks to God. Don't, don't raise a big conscience issue over it. Look at how good and how kind God is to me. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it. Wow, I'm just going to give him thanks, and I'm going to grab one of those tomahawk steaks and have a blast. Okay, now, he takes that story further. Now, if any of the unbelievers invite you over... And you want to go. Okay, you don't have to go, but if you want to go, you know, an unbeliever invites you over and you, you want to go, okay. Eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience, kind of like at the meat market. Well, now there's this whole array and it's all cooked and seasoned and smoked and sweet. You know, this is awesome. But if someone says to you, this food is from a sacrifice, do not eat it. Underline that, circle it, whatever. If someone says to you, this food is from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Hey, I don't mean your own conscience. I'm talking about the other person's conscience. Okay, so the story keeps going. Now you're not at the fairway meat market. Now you're at somebody's Super Bowl party. Okay, you're at the Super Bowl party and you're looking at this unbelievable array of food once again and you're saying, wow. I thank God that I live in a place where I can have this kind of spread in front of me. So you're giving thanks to God. You're thanking your host. All is well with the world. So then you're, you're going down the food line. You're next to somebody else, right? And you're grabbing whatever it is, you know, grabbing, reaching for the tomahawk steak, whatever. And as soon as you start reaching for that lamb burger or whatever it is, um, all of a sudden the dude next to you goes, hey, whoa, 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 that, that stuff right there, he, dude, he got that from one of the temples. Aren't, aren't you one of those Christians? You, you got to stay away from that stuff, you know? Here's the deal. You're doing your best just to be a good guest, right? You're, you've been talking to this dude about the weather. Can you believe this weather? It's colder here than Anchorage. Whatever. You know, making small talk, you know. You might even show him your chief shirt because you want everybody to know. And you're just going through the line. You're just happy, right? The moment, though, that guy says, wait a minute. That, that, came from the, that came from the temple. Which temple? It doesn't matter, right? Corinth had lots of them. It might have been the temple to Poseidon. It might have been the temple to Hermes. Hermes is the supposed god of feasting and even of meat, right? And so, man, whatever that most probably came from that temple of Hermes. Whatever it is, you stop. Now, here's the question that I had to ask myself as I was going through this. Did that question come from a believer or an unbeliever? Who's asking the question in that moment as you're going through the food line? 
I think actually it's likely an unbeliever. The way he's setting up the story, right? An unbeliever invites you in to his party and his, right? So probably most of his guests are also unbelievers. You're probably the odd guy out or whatever, but they know you're a Christian, right? So if that happens, if it's an unbeliever and they point that out to you, hey, you're a Christian, you shouldn't eat that. You, you know what you should immediately do is say, oh, dude, totally. Hey, thanks for pointing that out. I'll just grab the tuna, you know, or something you don't even like or whatever. Like, because it doesn't matter. Okay, oh, hey, man, thanks. And you just carry on. But what if it's a Christian? What if it's a brother or sister in Christ who has just pointed that out? I think the same thing applies. I think you just say, oh, man, tell you what, yeah, thanks. I'll grab the tuna, but hey, let's talk later because I want to help you understand what's going on. But anyway, not for now. I'll just grab the tuna. Thanks for pointing that out. And you just keep it. Why? Because it doesn't matter who it is. At that point, they've raised a conscience question, and you have to show both of them that they are more important than the Lamberger. They are more important than the tomahawk steak, right? As unimaginable as that might seem. Like, you've got you've to let them know in that moment, that critical moment right there, that they are more important than anything set in front of you. That's what he's saying. Their conscience is stirred. For whatever reason, you respond and you say, oh, sweet, I'm not going to eat it. Do not eat it. He could be clear. Do not eat it. Okay, so now he... Keeps going with that narrative. Second half of verse 29. Why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? Does it almost seem like he's saying the opposite of what he just said? (laughs) You should be worried about their conscience. And now he's like, hey, why should I be worried? You know, no, I, I don't think he is. I think he's anticipating what's going on in our hearts right now. Why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving... Why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? Well, that's a great question that he's raising that I think should be in our souls, and now he's going to give a great answer. You know what, verse 31? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Like, that's one of those verses, if you do verse packet, memory packet, things, or that's one of a classic verses that we memorize as Christians, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it everything for the glory of God. And then here, but he elaborates on that. Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Is, is it an unbelieving religious guy, like a Jew that you've been talking to, a Greek, a total pagan, just an abject pagan? Or is it a brother and sister in Christ? Is it somebody from the church of God? It doesn't matter. To all the above, give no offense. Just as I also try to try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, and here it is, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Guys, it's, there's, there's some complexities to this text, for sure. It's, there's some twists and turns that you've got to scratch your head a little bit. But one thing seems really, really clear. Whatever we don't understand about the text, one thing seems really clear. If we want to glorify God, if we want to memorize that verse about glorifying God in everything that we do, then we have to reject the wisdom of Taylor Swift and Schlitz and Ayn Rand. we gotta, we got to get rid of that. That's not going to be helpful in that moment at all. we got to reject this idea that everything is permissive for me. Everything is permissible? No, actually, no. 
we got to reject all that bad thinking and rewire ourselves to say, actually, you are not the center of the world. You are not the center of the universe. Everything is not permissible. You've got to live as if everyone, literally everyone around you is more important than you are. The Jesus way looks around and sees every Christian brother or sister and even the most vile pagan as more important than you are in that moment. Why? I really want them to be saved. I really want them to know Jesus. In fact, that's why I love that that next verse. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Hey, I'm a Christ follower, and I want you to follow the way I'm living. I want you to walk the way I'm walking, because I'm actually walking to Jesus, you know? It's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to walk back home. Hey, how do you get home? Oh, just follow me. I'll get you there. Just follow me, right? That's how we do it, right? If you want to, I can take you. Just follow me. It's like, I, I want to show you Jesus more than anything. I don't, I don't want to parse out what's right or wrong about food or not food. And No, no, no. Actually, right now, the most important thing is, man, I really want to introduce you to Jesus. Here, follow me. I want to introduce you to Jesus. I feel like I need to point out one thing here because I don't want to make it sound like the Bible is asking you to be kind of dismissive of really important issues. In other words, pagan idolatry was a huge issue, huge, consequential. In fact, if you look up at the text that we covered last week, Mark was teaching, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Like, you got to be careful. That is demonic. That is powerful stuff. Be careful of idolatry. He's not being dismissive of like this consequential issue of idolatry. In the same way, guys, the stuff that you might want to like tussle about, the, the, the issues in our day that are huge, even consequential. Like right now, there's a lot of parents worried about the, the gender issues in the public schools and that kind of thing. You're like, wait a minute, that's, that's really important. That's consequential. Totally, it is. The health crisis, the political stuff going on, all that. Those are really, they're true issues. Nobody's being dismissive. Here's what's going on. If you have the opportunity to point somebody to Jesus and they say something that frankly might even be wrong, <laughs> like their conscience is broken, Paul is assuming that their conscience is broken at some level, right? Their hardwiring is wired wrong. In those moments, here's what you have to see. You have to see beyond the issue to their heart, to their soul, to their eternal destiny. And you have to say, actually, even if you're wrong and I just want to correct you all over the place, in this moment right now, I want to point you to Jesus. That's what I want to do. I've got, I'm so hardwired to think Jesus, so hardwired to think I want everybody else to know Jesus, that that's kind of the default of where I go with every conversation, even every potential conflict that I have. Even in the legit issues. Honoring others, loving others. Whether the church of God, whether it's a Christian or a full-on pagan, Jesus. Jesus. I want to take them to Jesus. That's the way we go. And that's what I love about you guys, that first verse of chapter 11, which I think it's kind of an unfortunate chapter break because I think that first verse actually belongs with the thought that he has in chapter 10. Imitate me as I also imitate Jesus. Um, guys, we need to study Jesus. 
And I, I do want to say, if this is your only intake of truth is coming here just once a week, I just want to employ your, implore you. There it is. Implore you. This isn't enough because you are getting barraged by other liturgies all day, every day, all week long. You need the truth. Let us help you to learn how to study the Bible. Go to the men's study, the women's study. Go to a connection group. Learn how to constantly take in the truth. And here's why. It's going to keep pointing you to Jesus. And I think we need to study him a whole lot more. You know, years ago, many years ago now, in the Christian subculture, a lot of us wore these rubber bracelet things with WWJD. Remember that little era? WWJD. What was WWJD? What would Jesus do, right? And it was this like a reminder on your hand, like, what would Jesus do? I should always remember wherever I'm going, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, it seemed kind of kitsch, you know, kind of kind of Christian subculture thing, and it went, went away or whatever. But there's something to that that we need to really latch on to. Imitate me as I follow and imitate Christ. Here's what he's saying. What would Jesus do in those moments? I know you want to talk to me about Lamburgers. Can I talk to you about something more important? That, that's the Jesus way, right? The Jesus way would be find a way to direct them to the real heart matters and the gospel matters of what really counted and what the question that was actually really lurking so far in the background, they didn't even know it enough to speak it, but Jesus knows enough. That's what we should be. So here's what we know about Jesus. If we follow him, we know that Jesus actually laid down his rights rather than defend his rights. He even did things like paying the temple tax on a temple that was his. <laughs> so he was constantly doing stuff that made no sense that he should, but he just loved people enough that he just kind of went with it to the point of dying on the cross just pure injustice. What a broken system that would find Jesus Christ to be guilty of anything, well alone the death penalty. But you know why he did it? Because in that moment, you guys, look around. He looked around at this room and said, actually, they are the most important things in my eyes right now. The most important people in my eyes right now, I'm going to give my life so they can live. The thing driving him was love for you, love for me, and that fueled every action to the point of even being crucified for us. So guys, we're, we're going to take communion. And I'm so glad that this is a communion Sunday. And here's why. Last, last week, because of the the snowpocalypse, you know, uh, only a few were able to gather. Most, most of us were not able to gather. And um, so Mark's challenge for all of us, though, based on the first half of 1 Corinthians 10 was, man, a lot of us have these idols in our hearts. And let's take some time to really ask God, man, are we, are we trying to hold on to God and hold on to idolatry all at the same time? Let's, let's rid ourselves. So I, I trust that God's been working in your heart in order to do the inner work of where am I at with God. This week, I feel like Paul kind of completes the whole picture now. And it's not even just so much, am I right with God, like with idols, getting rid of those. How am I thinking about other people? 
So here's what I mean by that. If we take community today, obviously I want you to do some soul searching of letting go of whatever might be obstructing your pure worship to Jesus, but then I want you to go further. Who else do you really want to invite to also meet with Jesus? Who else in your life, whether it's the most pagan, unbeliever, or even a Christian that you know of that's just wandering and starting to believe lies again. As we go into community, just ask God, Lord, I so want to say to that person, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, that one day they'd be taking the cup together with me, taking the bread together, joining in celebrating Jesus with me, right? So it's not just about me, it's actually even about the other people and what Jesus could do once I get recalibrated to be a beautiful ambassador for God, bring people to Jesus. So the way we're going to do this, guys, is um, why don't you go ahead and stand up because I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have communion. They're, they're going to help us lead, lead out in some worship. But what's going to happen is those, those outer doors, like the, the um, doors more toward the ends, um, that's where you'll go out. And actually, the tables are all set for you just to be able to grab the cup and somebody will hand you the bread. Um, and if you would, just keep that line going. Go on both sides of the tables. Just keep it going so everybody can kind of come through. And then you can take it as, as you're worshiping and whatever. But just take a moment. When you get back to your seat, just take a moment before you take the bread and cup to just say, God, I want to be clean here. And man, I want to be so transparent so as to bring others and have specific people come to mind that you could pray for. Let's make this a real holy moment. So let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you for loving us when we were completely confused, so wrong at so many levels. But when you saw that, you didn't just want to correct us. You loved us. You brought us into your family. You died for us. And then you wrapped your arm around us and you began to retrain us and teach us how to walk and to think. Oh, that work continues. Lord, you're still doing that. So thanks for being patient with us. We're going to celebrate, Jesus, what you've done in dying on our behalf. You rose again, and you're promising resurrection to us, and that's glorious, but let, let us linger in this moment that you loved us enough to die for us. That's got to change us, Lord. That's got to transform us. So please do that in these moments. So we pray in Christ's name. Amen.